0: It's Thursday, January 17th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. It is the 27th day of the partial government shutdown, and it seems like things are going backwards. Speaker Nancy Pelosi has asked President Trump to reschedule the State of the Union address originally scheduled for January 29th, and she's citing security concerns. At the same time, a bipartisan group of senators is pressing Trump to reopen the government and negotiate a deal after. Daniel Lippmann, reporter for Politico, joins us to discuss the politics of the ongoing shutdown. Next, President Trump has signed a bill guaranteeing back pay for federal workers, but not until the government reopens. In the meantime, workers will still see zeros on their paycheck. While this may be a relief to many, what happens if you are an essential worker and get sick? Or the vacation and sick time you accrue for working? Jay Willis, writer for GQ, joins us for a look into the effects of the shutdown on federal employees. Finally, Netflix has announced that it is raising the subscription prices for its streaming services, and experts say that you should brace yourself for more increases in the future. More competition from new streaming services and the need for more original content is causing Netflix to spend more money than it brings in. My producer Miranda joins us for a breakdown of the price hikes. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: The government remains shut down for one reason and one reason only. The Democrats will not fund border security, our safety,
0: our national security. Joining us now is Daniel Littman, co-author of the Politico Playbook. We are now on the 27th day of this partial government shutdown. It's the longest one in history, Uh, you know, for a while, like, when I intro some of these stories, I kept saying, oh, there's no end in sight. It seems like we're reversing course now. There's no end in sight and things are getting even worse. Speaker Nancy Pelosi sent a letter to the president saying, maybe we should reschedule the State of the Union address because of the government shutdown. It's supposed to be on January 29th, but it doesn't seem like anything is going to get resolved by then. And she was citing security concerns as a reason uh, uh, why we should be postponing it.
1: Yeah, it's a real battle now. Uh, DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen she responded and said that the Secret Service and DHS are fully prepared to protect the president, everyone else who gathers at the State of the Union, because Pelosi had mentioned how she had some concerns about those agencies are part of the shutdown, and they're not getting paid. And a lot of them have been furloughed, except the essential ones. And so Trump really wants to use the State of the Union as a platform for him to drive home his border wall message. But Pelosi does not want to give him that opportunity.
0: Kevin McCarthy said that it's unbecoming of the speaker to be talking like this, being so partisan. The Constitution says that the president is required to deliver a report on the State of the Union. It doesn't necessarily have to be televised. Nancy Pelosi said, maybe you can just give it to us in writing and we could be done with it. I know some uh, Democrats have said, it, you know, it's just not fair and it looks awkward that all these people whether they're prepared or not, I am 100% sure they are prepared to offer the right protection for everybody. It's just awkward to see them working there without getting paid. It sets it up in my mind for how the president would go and give a big speech, say, hey, there is a crisis on the border, humanitarian crisis, so close that we almost had to declare a national emergency. But the state of the union is strong with all the division. It just I can't imagine you being able to deliver that line with all the stuff that's going on.
1: Yeah, I was talking to one Democratic member of Congress, and they said the state union is is shut, is closed, and so it's very hard for Trump to make the case that everything is just fine and dandy. You have Democrats who think that it's very important that Trump not use everyone's free airtime that the networks and news organizations are going to give him, and instead be forced to give a written testimony, which is a written statement, remarks. That's the way that it used to be delivered until, you know, a couple decades ago when they started, you know, having these live and televised. And so that is, you know, Trump feels like he is a good hand on this shutdown battle. Democrats feel like they are actually winning it, although it's very hard to define winning when... There's hundreds of thousands of federal workers who are suffering and a lot of other people feeling pain too.
0: That's a lot of the action that's taken place in the House. On the Senate side, there is a bipartisan group that is sending a letter to the president also saying, let's reopen the government for three weeks. That way we can get everything back into order and then let's negotiate on the wall, which is what House Democrats have been calling for. The president has been hesitant. He does not want to go this route. But so far, I mean, I've heard about maybe 10 senators signing on. I think they want to get about about 20 senators on each side. Don't know if they'll make it that far, but even uh, Senate Republicans now are you know, starting to feel the pinch and they want to reopen the government.
1: There's a real sense that this is going on way too long and that no one is benefiting, that the public is suffering and that we should not run the government the way that it has been run, where it's partially even shut down for more than three weeks. And you know, it's getting embarrassing for the U.S. image around the world. And so there are a lot of senators from both parties who say that this is a good time that we should take stock and urge the president to moderate his position on all of this.
0: They're asking for three weeks. Let's open it up. And if you want to shut it back down after that, I guess you can. And I said at the beginning of this, it seems like we're taking a step back. They, there's been no talks on getting the government open or border security for about a week now because of the stalemate. Everybody's just digging their heels in and nobody wants to come to the table with anything. Obviously the president being uh, very stubborn on it too. He doesn't want to do anything unless he gets that full funding for the wall. It makes you think, where are those negotiating skills? Maybe you can't have the full money, but I know Democrats have said, signaled that, hey, we don't want to do anything with a wall, but they will make a deal if you reopen the government. And then uh, on the other side of things, thousands more employees are being called back in now to work without pay. They're still shut down, but as things progress, you know, things still need to get done. So more furloughed workers are going to start working with no hope of getting a paycheck.
1: Yeah, or at least they'll get delayed paychecks. They'll get back pay. But the Trump administration views it as, you know, thinks it's very important to try to lessen the impact on the public. And that's both so they can continue this fight, but also, you know, they care that there's a lot of stuff that's getting left by the wayside, critical environmental protections, not getting properly regulated and looked at. Airports, uh, there's a lot of concern that our nation's air safety is in jeopardy. And so that's something that is making a lot of Trump people nervous. You know, what if there's an airplane accident because yeah. of Trump's wall? That doesn't really help the safety and security of the people.
0: Yeah, I think one of the quotes I saw was that airlines are self-regulating right now, and that could compromise public safety cuz you don't want that to happen. The Food and Drug Administration as you were saying, they're bringing more a 400 more people back to work. These are still small numbers compared to the 800,000 federal workers that are working without getting paid or being furloughed. The EPA, they only have 6.8% of its total workforce working. So they're bringing some more people back. This thing keeps getting stretched on and now we're starting to see all the effects of what this partial government shutdown really has
1: we're kind of seeing the importance of the government right now and the fact that there's a reason the government exists a lot of republicans are privately even publicly they're skeptical of all the functions of the government, and so Democrats, even though they are part of this shutdown fight, they feel intense responsibility to try to get it resolved because they believe in the government. And so, you know, a lot of Republicans are kind of happy that this is all taking place. You can uh, kind of get rid of some government workers who are tired of not getting a paycheck after all this work that they're doing.
0: Yep, and uh, you know, all the mudslinging keeps going back and forth. Daniel Lippman, co-author of the Political Playbook. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
2: It ensures that 800,000 federal employees who are going without pay because of a senseless shutdown will ultimately get the back pay they deserve.
0: Joining us now is Jay Willis, staff writer for GQ. We're in the longest government shutdown in history. It's a partial government shutdown. We're hearing about the impact that it's having on uh, these 800,000 workers that are working without pay or have been furloughed, furloughed workers that have not been working, are going to come back still without pay. But it's been a nightmare for some of these federal employees with their sick leave, things like that. And these are all the people that are caught in the middle. Lawmakers are trying to dig their heels in on both sides. We want money for the wall. We don't want to give you money for the wall. They're not really coming to any compromises. So it's becoming a problem. But like I said, these people are in the middle. They have nothing to do with it. They just want to work and get paid for what they're doing. And it's starting to show now. So tell us a little bit about some of the people you talk to and how this is really impacting them on uh, other levels, like I said, as far as their sick leave and things like that.
2: Obviously, missing a paycheck is the big red flag item that is causing the people the biggest headache. But one thing that I delved into a little bit is how this is affecting some of the other benefits that they depend on their jobs, just like anybody depends on in their jobs. So if you sort of divide federal employees into two broad categories, first of all, you've got folks who are on furlough right now who are not getting paid and not going to work. Federal regulations state that you earn sick leave and paid leave vacation time when you are in pay status. And so when they're not going to work and not being paid, they're not earning leave. Now, one of the many ways in which this can become a problem is, for example, I spoke with a woman who is expecting her first child soon, and federal employees don't actually have formal parental leave, maternity or paternity leave, and they sort of cobble together that time using their sick leave and their paid vacation leave. And so if she sits at home not working, she is also not accumulating leave that she can spend with her child. She told me, every two weeks that goes by, it's a missed paycheck, but it's also a day and a half that I won't be able to spend with my child. Now, during the 2013 government shutdown, Congress did eventually provide not only back pay for furloughed workers, but also back leave accumulation. The president is set today to sign a bill providing for back pay. And then I've looked at the text and I don't see that it provides for back leave yet. So while Congress may do it, I don't believe that that's going to happen in this bill.
0: From your article, you know, she said she was timing this out to kind of maximize all of that time that she could have with her newborn child. If these things get signed and passed before the child is born, then she'd be okay. But if it doesn't get signed up before that, then. And she kind of loses out on that time. She'll have to either just take more time off without getting paid or she just has to go back to work early.
2: I mean, you just put yourself in her shoes here. Like, there is a way that this can all be resolved, but I can't imagine the stress of sitting at home, expecting your first child again in a matter of weeks and just watching the news and, and hoping that this gets taken care of, knowing that the downsides for you and your family could be significant as you sort of start this new phase of your life.
0: Let's talk about other people when you want to call out sick, such as uh, air traffic controllers, These Essential employees. You can't do a sick out protest or anything like that. So it's even tougher for them to do something like that.
2: Yeah, they run up against sort of a what appears to be sort of a strange quirk of a shutdown that makes sense if you start to think about it, which is they're essential employees and they've been deemed critical to the continued administration of the government. So when a shutdown begins, if they have existing vacation plans, those get canceled because you are deemed, again, essential. We heard a little bit about this over the holidays when you had essential employees who had to cancel their time away and come back and work during the week of Christmas and New Year's but it's also affecting employees now just if they come down with the flu if the government were operating normally they would be able to call out sick just like anyone else but because they've been deemed essential to it they have to jump through a whole new series of hoops
0: I'm trying to think of what to do when this stuff happens again because government shutdowns will happen again and maybe they all these departments need to start a fund that uh, you know a little slush fund for when these things happen They can keep workers on for longer periods of times or give them their leave at least just to kind of avoid these problems.
2: Yeah, and I want to draw attention to the bill that the president is set to sign today again, the one providing for back pay. there's the third section of it allows accepted employees who are required to perform work. It allows them to use their leave. So from this point forward, perhaps policies will start to change at different agencies. But as I wrote in the article, that's not what's been happening sort of on the ground up until this point.
0: Jay Willis, staff writer for GQ. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Certainly. Thank you for your
3: time. They expect $2.8 billion more to go out of Netflix doors than come in. Netflix is basically hemorrhaging money, paying more money for content than they're receiving back in subscriptions.
0: Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. A few days ago, we heard that Netflix is raising the subscription price for its users a couple dollars for each round of services. They have like three different tiers. What do we know about that, Miranda?
3: They have 60 million US subscribers and more than 120 million subscribers globally. So let me break it down for you. Essentially, the Netflix price increase announced on Tuesday amounted to a price hike of 13 to 18%, depending on which streaming package you have. Right after this move, one of the brokerage firms, a place called Piper Jeffrey, put out a research note saying that Netflix fiscal 2019 total revenue is going to be about $19 billion. And Netflix plans to up their content budget this year to $14 billion from $12 billion. And that's after spending on marketing and tech upgrades. So basically they expect $2.8 billion more to go out of Netflix stores than come in. Netflix is basically hemorrhaging money, paying more money for content than they're receiving back in subscriptions.
0: Yeah. So you ask, why are they raising prices? It's because of this. They usually spend more than they take in. Although the company is very profitable in many other ways. You don't have to account for all that money up front all the time. You know, it's very much how you balance your books. So they do lose money, but they're making money in all sorts of other ways. Either way, there's gonna be more competition for them by all sorts of other companies that are planning to bring out their own streaming services, like Disney. It could be possible that Comcast does something like that. All these other companies are gonna be putting out their own services, taking content out of Netflix, and they need to make and now Netflix needs to make more content. So that's why they're gonna put more money into it.
3: Yeah, we already know that Disney is launching their Disney Plus streaming service, and that's going to debut in the back half of 2019. And they're already starting to separate their content, including canceling their Marvel shows and moving some of their Disney and Pixar content off slowly. Not everything's gone, but you'll notice more and more things are missing. Also, AT&T and Time Warner are planning for their streaming service. Comcast, like you said, if this happens, they're going to lose about 20% of their content hours from Netflix. So at this point, it's all speculation as far as who's going to take their streaming services off
0: Netflix and when. But those numbers are right. 20% is from those places. Disney, for sure. They're already moving their Marvel and Pixar stuff off of there. And that's going to be a juggernaut when it comes out. Who doesn't want to see all of the old classic Disney movies on your streaming? Just, you know, in one place, in one place. Exactly. All the new stuff that they have coming out, all the Marvel stuff, which are just hits. That's where you're going to have to go to find those. They've said that it's going to be cheaper than Netflix also.
3: But there's a good chance that Netflix could pay big money to keep certain properties on their streaming services. I mean, we all know the big story that happened just what a month ago when Netflix paid $100 million to extend their contract with friends to keep it on Netflix
0: for only one more year. Oscar. Oh, that's so much. But, but this all goes to the point they need to raise prices to accommodate for all this stuff, all the money that they're shelling out. From an audience standpoint, it's not that much money. It, it's, two, it's two bucks. Right. Uh, you're getting a lot of stuff there and they've built up so much rapport With their audience already. They have their hits like Stranger Things, Orange is the New Black, things like that, where people go and they want to keep watching. There is a lot of other movies. This is all about original content that ramping that stuff up. It's a place that people already trust. They're hooked on it and they're going to keep coming back. A fun side note, because I always love these, their shares did go up after they announced the price hike. It's a smart move for them. If you would have invested $1,000 in Netflix in 2007, How much would you be making now off of that $1,000 investment? More than $90,000 as of January 15th. That's everybody kicking themselves in the butt for that one. (laughs) Just to uh, drive the point home about uh, original content and how much money they shell out for these things. You is one of the latest hits that Netflix has. It's starring Penn Badgley from The Gossip Girl fame. He plays like a stalker. You know, there's all this stuff on on the internet where people are like, "Oh, I love him so much, but he's so creepy and weird." <laughs> I did see the whole series. It was very good. But what people don't know is it originally aired on Lifetime, the A&E network back in September, and it got good reviews but horrible ratings. And it changed everything that Lifetime did with it, and Netflix scooped it up, and now for its second season, It's an original content.
3: The Hollywood Reporter gave it a great review, called it extremely watchable, but they had a hard time cutting through all the other stuff that airs on Lifetime. And they only drew a live viewership of 611,000 people. So when they wanted to do a second season, they were hopeful because it got great critical reviews. But like you said, no numbers. So they sold the streaming rights to Netflix to offset the cost of the high production value of the show, hoping that that could help with the second season. But when those numbers failed to bring it back up, they canned it. And Netflix just
0: jumped right on that. They were ready to go with season two before it even premiered on Netflix. So they were throwing a gamble at it too.
3: And one thing that Netflix does incredibly well, I'd argue better than any of these other major media companies is their social media presence. They're very engaged on social media and they help to spread the memeability of stuff. So you, very memeable. I don't even know the movie, but I know enough about it just through seeing memes. And the same could be said for Bird Box. They said 45 million people watched bird box in its debut and from there it spawned the bird box challenge and other
0: things of that nature. Yeah, and well I mean now they're having to go back and say hey don't do these types of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you know this is just a, a lot of the smart moves that Netflix makes even though they spend so much money and, and you know these are all all these reasons put together is why they are increasing their prices and experts say expect more increases, you know, in the years to come or how the last one was about 15 months ago. So Maybe in another 15 months you might get another couple dollars. But that slow incremental thing I think is easy for people to swallow right now. Digestible, yeah. But you know, who knows how far it's gonna go? The streaming wars are here now, and everybody's gonna have some type of platform for content, original content. Thank you, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcasts on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.